0: Greetings, denizens of crowded subways. Thanks for listening to Shadows and Pinstripes. Today's episode is Pick Up on South Street. So I have to admit that anytime I watch a, uh, a film with Richard Widmark, I have to compare him to the to his first role that he ever had, which was the role of the gleeful psychopath Tommy Udo in the film Kiss of Death. And I also can't help but compare it also to what is probably my favorite film starring Widmark, which is Night in the City. And uh, so one of the greatest roles that he ever played was Tommy Udo. And if you look closely and if you sift through it enough, you can find a, an episode in season one. I honestly don't remember which one where I did my Tommy Udo (laughs) impression on the fly. It probably wasn't very good, (laughs) but uh, when he made that movie, when he, when he, that was his first role as an actor. And you, you have to look at the, like the roles of the Joker and just these, the roles of the, of the, uh, the only way to describe it, and I, I don't know if I'm lifting this from somebody else, I think somebody referred to him as a gleeful psychopath one time. He might have been Eddie Moeller for, uh, for all I know. Um, I've seen Kiss of Death a couple of times, and I don't want to make this episode about Kiss of Death, but talking about Richard Widmark, you have to talk about Kiss of Death. He steals that movie, and he, um, he created this, <laughs> this role of... Instead of stone faced, you know, uh, business, you know, instead of business like stone faced, angry bad guys, he created this laughing, crazy, just can't stop watching it, gleeful psychopath. And I've always heard that he, um, and I was going to say when you when you watch a movie when you watch a character like the Joker from from the Batman TV show and, and or, or for the Batman movies and stuff, none of that none of that style existed on film before Tommy Udo, you know before the laughing just just crazy guy bad guy, and now it's routine. You know he laughed loud and he just he completely took a script that probably didn't have any of that in it. I mean I don't know how it could. And he created that that archetype basically, and so I've always heard, and I think Eddie Muller mentioned it a few times in, in his books um, and maybe on the show um, Noir Alley that uh, Tommy Udo really, uh, not Tommy Udo, but Richard Woodmark really sort of got tired of of playing the villain all the time after he was so good as Tommy Udo. He got he got lots of offers. You know, every offer he got was for him to play a play a villain. And he didn't want that. He didn't want to be typecast that way. He wanted to do, you know, other other things. And so eventually, sort of tried to break out of it. And and I I don't I wouldn't classify him as the villain on Night in the City. I think he's the antihero. And I think on this movie uh, that I'm talking about today, Pick Up on South Street, he's not the villain at all. He is the antihero. And um, and so I I want to watch anything with Richard Widmark. There are films of his that I haven't seen. I know he made some Westerns and he continued to make films all throughout his career. And he's just good. I mean, he's really good. But the one thing about him is that it doesn't matter with maybe the exception of, of Tommy Udo. When you look at him, you just want to root for him, you know. Um, and Tommy Udo, you didn't root for him because he was crazy and he was the villain, but but you still just couldn't stop watching him. And so for a guy who who started out his career making film noir and for playing, playing the gleeful psychopath, this guy is just complete talent. And so I'm going to look through this, um, this film, the pickup on South street. It's, uh, I did get the, uh, the criterion Blu-ray and this one is chock full of, of, uh, special features, honestly, more, more than I could probably watch. Um, sometimes they are, most of the uh, special features are very watchable. I remember when I, when I got the, um, uh, Kiss Me Deadly. I, I sat and watched all of the special features in one afternoon and just, just loved it. Um, but then I remember when I got the uh, Criterion Blu-ray for uh, my favorite movie. Um, well, one of my top three favorite films, possibly my favorite movie, Sweet Smell of Success it has so many special features packed into that Blu-ray. I still to this day, haven't watched them all. I I think I've started them all, but I mean, there's like hour long documentaries built in and 40, 45 minute. uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different documentaries and just, there's a whole bunch of stuff to get in there. And, and a lot of it's about the, um, the life of the director and stuff. Um, this one is closer, more, this one's a little bit uh, more in line with the sweet smell of success because it's got a bunch of special features. And, um, you know, I've mentioned many times that my number one non-negotiable is that if I'm going to pl- if I'm going to pay for a Blu-ray for a uh, for a film noir or a classic film that's not film noir, I need a commentary. I want the commentary because I want to rewatch it at some point with with some you know historical input. Now, I still want to have high-def versions of um, classic film noirs, but. Uh, I won't buy it in physical media if it's uh, if it doesn't have the commentary. In other words, if if there's a, if there's and there's a few of them like that too. I'm trying to think of an example I've been looking for recently. Um, I can't remember, but there were some there were some films that I was looking at recently, and I was like, okay, so they got that as a restoration, um, and they they got it in Blu-ray format, that would look nice on the shelf. And let me look and see what the special features are. And the special features on a couple of movies I looked at, they didn't have. Any sort of uh, any sort of commentary or anything like that, and so in that situation, I would prefer to just buy it in digital. You know, because what's the difference? I just I just need to have it in. Um, I just need to have it in HD. In all of my Blu-rays, I really want to have a uh, a commentary on it. Well, this one does. This one has a commentary, of course. This is the uh, the, um, the the Criterion Collection. They they generally always have uh, commentaries. The commentary on this one is by. Who is it by? Does it have a commentary? I haven't watched it with a commentary, but uh interesting. I may be wrong. I actually think this one may not have one. Well, I'll read the uh, I'll read the special features from the uh from the Blu-ray from the back. So the Blu-ray special edition feature for Pick Up on South Street, new 4K digital restoration with uncompressed monaural soundtrack. They always say that on every one of them. A new interview with critic Imogene Sarah Smith, author of In Lonely Places, Film Noir Beyond the City. Uh, she's in a bunch. She she contributes to a lot of um, a lot of film noir, Blu-rays. Uh, let's see. Interview from 1989 with director Samuel Fuller, conducted by film critic Richard Schickel. Um, cinema Cinemas Fuller, a 1982 French television program in which the director discusses the making of the film. Okay. Hollywood radio theater adaptation of the film from 1954, starring, Thel- starring Thelma Ritter. She's in the film, and she's excellent. Uh, okay, now that, um, they do that a bunch of times. They, they do a lot of those um, audio adaptations of it, and those are, those are fun. Uh, trailers for Fuller's films, English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, plus essays by author and critic Luke Sante, or maybe Sante, and filmmaker Martin Scorsese and a chapter from Fuller's posthumously published 2002 autobiography, A Third Face, My Tale of Writing, Fighting, and Filmmaking. So this movie actually doesn't have a commentary. Here I go talking about having to have a, um, a commentary, but uh, that the bet, all bets are off when it's a criterion because there's, there's enough background information that you don't necessarily have to have the commentary. Um, but yeah, interestingly enough, it doesn't have one. It does have a very massive massive uh, insert um it, it and it and i i, I read through it well, i didn't read all through it but it does have i mean just it's a book i don't know how many pages are in this thing i'm gonna look and see generally they're 25 or 30 pages this one looks like it's 29 pages and you probably hear the cat meow. the cat um walking by the microphone right now it's not a it's not a lawnmower in my next door neighbor's house that's actually one of my cats walking by purring and now he's gone. But yeah, th- this one, um, and, and it actually is more. So the, so the booklet is looks like it's twenty eight or twenty nine pages, but it's actually full of words. A lot of times it's it's big. It's big print, <laughs> big print, and lots of photos. Um, this one is very small print. It actually looks like a book. And so the um, you go to page five of it, and it has an article that says "Extra Pickpocket Foils Doom Plot" by Luke Santi. All right, and the, that that talks about the film you get to page nine, then you have Martin Scorsese on Samuel Fuller. That's the director of the movie. And, uh, so his little thing goes on. Um, it's got some good photographs in it. Uh, the paper is not uh, slick gloss paper. It's like, it's like newspaper, not newspaper. It's thick, but it's, it's just, it's not slick at all. You get to page 15 and then you have don't wave the flag at me by Samuel Fuller. This is, a uh, the following is a chapter from the two thousand and two book, A Third Face: My Tale of Writing, Fighting, and Filmmaking by Samuel Fuller, with Krista Lang Fuller and Jerome Henry Rudes or Rudez. I'm not sure how to pronounce that name. And so that's a chapter from his book, and it starts out with him saying, "I hate violence. That has never prevented me from using it in my films. It's part of human nature." And Samuel Fuller was a war was a war hero. I mean, he was he 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 stormed the beach at Normandy. I mean, this guy. So he knows about violence, and uh, most of the most of the writing in this, you know, most of the booklet is taken up by his chapter. I actually haven't read most of his chapter. I read the first couple pages of it, but uh, but anyway. So for a Criterion release, it has a it has a lot. It's it leans a little bit more, with the exception of not having an audio commentary. Um, it has a lot of material to get through. So Richard Widmark doesn't play a gleeful psychopath in this film. He doesn't play tommy udo a far cry from tommy udo and uh, i mean the, the the film's called pick up on south street and it starts out with with tommy with i'm not gonna call him tommy udo <laughs> it starts out with the uh, widmark's character skip mccoy um on a subway train picking um a wallet out of uh, a young lady's wa- uh, a young lady's purse and uh, it's not like these movies today it's not like oceans 11 where where uh, matt damon bumps into somebody and he's got the, uh, you know, without you even seeing it, he's got the uh, person's wallet in his hand. He's very slow with it, right? So he uses a newspaper and he gets close on the train. He's got the newspaper, you know, blocking and then very slowly and subtly pulls it out. There's a couple of scenes where it's very dramatic. You're like, all right, he's going to get caught. So you come to find out that Skip, um, is, he's a, he's a three strike. He's a three strike loser as they call him. He's uh, he's been in the big house. He's been in jail and, uh, if he were to get picked up again, that would be uh, that would be a big deal. So he's risking it. Um, he's risking doing what he's doing. Well, he's uh, the 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 pocket that he picked, or the pocketbook that he picked, was um, a young lady named Candy, who uh, with the film coming out in 1953, they don't get super specific about what uh, she has done, but um, they. Do make mention that she has been around. So, and her name is Candy. And uh, first off, she's beautiful, uh, played by Jean Jean Peters, just um, gorgeous. I mean, um, just magnetic in this movie. Um, Richard Widmark is always magnetic as, as well. And then Thelma Ritter, who got uh, who who got an Academy Award nomination for um, for um, best supporting actress, who uh, Eddie Muller said she got six of those more than anybody else in in history. More than any other actress in history, um, she still she steals the film and all the all of her scenes as well. So all three of the big of the leads are just are just magnetic. Um, I mean, just just compulsively watchable. And so he steals he steals this uh, he steals this wallet out of her purse, and she is working or she's with uh, some group who she doesn't know all that much about. She's got a, uh, I guess, uh, boyfriend or ex boyfriend, Joey. And Joey seems like this just weaselly, not going to do any work myself, scumbag dude. And so, um, and so anyway, this whole, this sets an entire, this sets an entire, you know, domino effect in motion. And, um, everybody sort of sticks by their guns in this film that's what I've noticed everybody has their sort of own version of of what's right and you know what to stand up for and they stick by it well the three leads do they all have their own sort of you know code of conduct and they stick by their their guns uh, Joey doesn't and the other the others don't um, but they all sort of have their own respect for the for the boundaries that they'll cross and so there's a lot of sort of loyalty in the movie that really endears you to the characters. So without getting too much into it, Skip has stolen something and it's, this is a cold war era film and inside the wallet, there's a, there's a film. Um, And so, uh, so it turns out that candy was actually going to deliver this film um, for Joey. She didn't know what it was, um, but um, he told her that it had, Uh, Business secrets or something like that, and uh, that's not true. It's, it's something that would, it's something that would uh, incriminate uh, a communist spy ring, right? So the government agents get involved, and uh, it's funny because um, the story behind the show is that J. Edgar Hoover um, had a working relationship with 20th Century Fox, and um, they, they, you know, J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI. Um, would would look look over their films and he you know he had a great working relationship with them but he always wanted the FBI to look good and in this movie I don't think the FBI looks bad but uh, apparently when uh, he saw the film he had not had um, he had not had a uh, um, a look at it before it was it was created and he demanded changes and this was the one time that 20th Century Fox told him no because uh, Samuel Fuller the director was like I'm not, I'm not changing anything. And then, um, 20th century Fox ended up backing Samuel Fuller and they said, no, it's, it's his film and he's going to do it this way. And so J Edgar Hoover, uh, stormed out, I'm sure of the building and, uh, didn't no longer had a working relationship with 20th, 20th century Fox because, well, he wanted all this, he wanted all those movies to make the FBI look good. He wanted everything to be sort of a, uh, um, you know, an advertisement for how, you know, how the, uh. Agencies of the country were uh, were doing good for the American public. So but back to the movie. So th- the loyalties that each person has. So Candy, eventually, I mean, she gets slapped around a little bit. She gets she gets beat up a little bit in this movie. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to say skips a good guy because he punches her in the jaw when he when he first sees her and knocks her out. Um, Yeah, there's something to that. He punches her and uh, she's cute, too. I mean, I don't I don't. I felt kind of bad that he, you know, he punched her, but uh, so Skip and, and Candy sort of have this like bond that they start to build, but but Skip is playing hardball, right? Because he knows he's looked at this film, he knows more than she does. He knows that she's he, she's dealing with communists, but he doesn't have any. He doesn't. He's, he's not anti-commie. He doesn't like them. He's not one of them, but he's not going to turn them in, not if they'll pay him money. And so she comes and gives him gives him cash, and he denies to everybody who comes around that. You know that 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 he even has this film. He never admits to anybody that he that he picked it. Of course, we know he picked it. We saw him do it. Um, and you're you know we wonder why it takes a while. We wonder why why doesn't you know there's there's nothing in there. She even tells him there's nothing that's of any value to anybody, just to us. And so she offers him fifty dollars, and she's paying money to to track him down and and wasting money. Well, then after a while he 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 says uh no 25, 25 grand you know and they'll pay it. And so uh, he he calls her a, he calls her a red. He says, those reds, you know, pay me twenty five grand. She doesn't even realize she thinks he's just talking trash. She goes back to them and she tells them he accused us of being reds and and all this other kind of stuff. She it never even occurs to her that he's actually telling the truth. So eventually she sort of gets she sort of gets wise. And the, and the funny thing is that the uh, the character of of uh, of Thelma Ritter, she's they call her Mo on the movie. and she's like a stoolie. so <laughs> she's funny. She's quick talking. Uh, her character steals the show. She's, uh, you know, she she's just got a lot of good lines in the in the movie. Yeah, you know, she works with the police at the beginning, and the the way she the way she ne- negotiates is just hysterical. Um, <laughs> she's always talking about prices going up, and 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 <laughs> anyway, it's 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 really funny. She's she's great all the way through. But she has a scene where she sticks by her guns as well, and even in the face of of possible death, and. You know, and Candy has a scene where she just she sticks by her guns for some reason. Even though he punched her in the jaw, she's just she's just very, you know she's very uh, she's very loyal. Once she finds out um, that she's been working with with communists, I mean, she's loyal to Skip, and I you know, and he he's loyal to her in a way, and he's Skip is loyal to to Mo as well in a way. And there's just sort of this loyalty among the ones among the among these characters who are being abused by, you know, by the, I guess maybe that's why J. Edgar Hoover didn't like the way the FBI looked is because they're kind of jerks to the, to the characters. Um, but I mean, they're law enforcement and that's, I, I, I guess, you know, when I first watched it, I didn't think maybe this is an anti-law enforcement film. Um, I guess if you're, if you're looking from that, from that angle, you could, you could think that. Um, but, uh, uh to me, it's just a bunch of people who are, who are being tossed around, which is which is an earmark of, of film noir, and um, and on the one side there is law enforcement trying to trying to put the pinch on them, and then the other on the other side there are uh, gangsters. Uh, in this case, uh, not typical gangsters, but you know you got a, a group of communists, and so I mean these guys that are stuck in the middle are the ones who are who are dealing with all of this junk, and um, you know Candy's the one who's getting pushed around and beat up. I mean she is. She got punched by Skip. There's a scene with uh, with Joey where he just throws her around the room. I mean, just beats her up and throws her around the room, and uh, I mean, it's it's violent. It is very violent. And so, I mean, I remember watching it, thinking, this film came out in the fifties. They they didn't. I mean, this is that. If I saw that today, I would think, all right, well, that's that's violent. It's um, I mean, it's it's very physical. Throws her around the room. I mean, just it's 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 a it's a physical scene. It's a very physical scene. Um, I mean, but the thing that really shines through is just the loyalty. Like when when like I guess I don't want to spoil. At this point, there's a little bit of a spoiler, so if you want to pause, pause. But I, I got to talk about it, so um, I'm gonna give you, in case you're listening from across the room, five more seconds to go. And hit the pause button and go watch the movie. Come back and finish another time, but I doubt that. I'm I'm sure you've probably seen the film if you're listening to this. Um, So Mo gets killed for taking a stand. Uh, She is thrown a bribe, six hundred dollars, you know, five or six hundred dollars that she could have taken. She's already made a ton of money off of the pick. You know the pickpocket thing all that day. She got paid by the police, uh, or the FBI, to uh, to um, to give up. Her, you know who it was that, that did the lift, um, and she did. She got paid by Candy to try to to get give the same information later on when the um, uh, when she's when she finds out that it's that it's actually communists. She turns down six hundred dollars, and uh, and and she speaks out about it. She lets them know that, that they're that she knows they're communists, and the guy tells her, "You just talked yourself into an early grave," and he he kills her. And she she talks about being uh, too too tired, you know, Mister. You'd be doing me a favor, you know, and and, and uh, he kills her. And that's where you really start to see for the first time, uh, not maybe for the first time, but yeah, I guess for the first time. That's where you see Skip sort of be human you know, and he, he, she never, she, she made mention that she didn't want to be buried in, in Potter's field, you know? Um And he goes and and he goes and, you know, he's on a ferry and he goes and goes and gets the, the the coffin, you know, says that he's, I don't know if it was a scam he did or what. I don't, I don't think they really went into it, but he goes out there in the dead of night and uh tells them he's got a, he, he's got authorization to get this certain casket off of the, uh, the little fairy they had and he gets her back and and buries her. And so um, he's got this loyalty to her. They were both sort of running the same, you know, the same grift. I mean, the same, you know, fighting in their, in their own kind of way to survive. And then, um, and then Candy stands up for him. And uh, she took that beating because she wasn't, uh, she wouldn't give up where he lived, you know, which he he doesn't even live in a place with the, with electricity or anything. He just lives under this little pier and uh, puts his, uh you know keeps his beer in a in a in a uh, little crate that he lowers down in the water to keep it cold <laughs> you know i mean just simple just nothing you know just fighting to survive and uh and she stands up for him that's why she takes that beating and she actually she actually takes a bullet for him and then he later you know while she's in the hospital he's he look he's you know he's he's being very earnest and he's looking at her and he says, Why did he beat you up like this?' And uh, she tells him, "It's like, well, because I wouldn't give up where you, where you lived." And so he, he's got his loyalty to her, and he goes to make his final, his final stand. And uh, you know, I, I, really, really, really like this movie. It's, uh, it's a, it's a little more of it, it's very engaging. It's a little more of uh, maybe an uplifting feel to a film than what some people would consider film noir. I don't think anybody would argue that it's not film noir, unless those people say, well, you have to have a femme fatale, because candy's not a femme fatale. and um, and Or if they said, well, you have to have a, I don't know, you know, some some, you know, you got people that have the specifics that they require in order for it to be a femme fatale, or, or I'm sorry, for it to be a film noir, and, uh, and maybe some of those elements are missing. What it is, though, is a very compulsible compulsively watchable, watchable film. Um, it is a delight from beginning to end. And it's, uh, I mean, it's Richard Woodmark. He's fantastic. I mean, he's, he's just, he's fantastic. I, I would watch any of his films at any point. Um, you know, I mean, he's just, he's excellent. Gene Peters as Candy is just gorgeous, magnetic, um, loyal. I mean, just an excellent, I mean, excellent. And then of course, you know, you've got, <laughs> you've got Thelma Ritter who stole the show. I mean, just with her quick talking and her negotiations, the negotiation scenes alone are, are, are worth the, the price of admission. But uh, as always, I'm going to tell you, just I highly recommend it. Um, I don't always say at the end of each film that I highly recommend it. Sometimes it's it's a little lower on the scale of of um, you know maybe watchability. Uh, I, I don't turn down any chance to watch watch classic classic noir. Uh, this is my favorite period for films. Um, however, um, this one this one is is very very watchable. And, um, at this time in his life, Richard Woodmark was, he was trying to move away from playing bad guys. And the story goes that when he read the script, he realized that, well, this is, this is just a guy with his own code of ethics. Who's, uh, he's not the villain, you know, he's, he's an anti-hero in the show. And, uh, and so he took, he took the role. Um, and so, um, glad he did. Um, I'm glad that, uh, they didn't choose Marilyn Monroe to play Candy because, uh, that was, that was under discussion, um, You know, they they definitely did what they were. They did what they want. You know, they did the right thing getting Gene Peters. And um, I've also heard that somebody, some of the brass at uh, at 20th Century Fox at first didn't want Richard Whitmark. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but uh, it wouldn't have been the same without him. Uh, it's, it's interesting to play the what if game on some of these casting decisions that, 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 that happened, but all that really matters is, is who ended up in the film. And this is an excellent, excellent movie. So, um, give it a watch if you haven't, uh, pick up the, uh, Criterion Blu-ray, get it on Amazon. Cause it's only 20 bucks on Amazon, 19, 1975 or something like that. You go to, you go buy it on physical media, Barnes and Noble or something, which I do sometimes, but I only go when they do the half price sale. Um, you know, they're $40 and that's a lot. Um, I mean, it's not a lot if you got if you got the money, I guess. But uh, Amazon typically has these Criterion films for twenty dollars, so check them out. And guys, uh, that's about all I have to say about Pickup on South Street. I, I just want to thank you for listening. I uh, um, I started an Instagram page. Of course, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be it'll be two months from now. But uh, I started an Instagram page uh, a couple of months ago <laughs> um, for the. Uh, for the, for the podcast to help maybe get a little bit of the word out there for it. I mean, this is just a humble podcast. I'm just talking over film noir and, and maybe some people find it interesting. Maybe they don't, I don't know. Um, but go check out the Instagram page. It is, um, shadows and pinstripes I've simply just written out shadows and pinstripes, the word and, and, um, so I'll be posting some, some noir images and i and I'll, on my um, on my stories i'll be post i'll be reposting some some things that I've seen um, that i that i like I started doing that the other day um and so i i thank you for for watching it. it maybe you'll find a film that you haven't heard of before maybe you'll find something uh that uh that interests you or maybe i'll encourage you to dive deeper into film and and uh, and 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 buy some buy some physical media with the yeah it's my cat knocking something over buy some physical media with uh with you know, with, with the extras and dive deep into the film, into the into the art behind it, and uh, and also when you're watching the movie, watch it without your phone on, <laughs> watch it without distraction. You know, turn the lights off, get get an, a a high def version of the film and watch it and pay attention to it and listen to the dialogue and appreciate the art. Don't have it on in the background while you're while you're typing a paper. That's that's just that's not the way to do it. <laughs> Don't buy one of those. Uh, uh, Mill Creek, um, you know, ten movies on one disc for four dollars thing. No, that's not the way to watch it. You're, you're not going to be able to hear it. The sound quality is terrible. You know, when you watch it, set the tone and set the set the uh, set the mood to watch it in the right way, where you're focused on it. And so that look, that's that's the reason I always tell you, um, you know, that's why I always sign off every episode by saying the same thing. And I'm going to do it this time. Sue, too got two. So guys, I really thank you for listening. And when you watch the movie for crying out loud, turn your phone off.